When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Isaac here with Civil Engineering Academy, coming at you again with another fun podcast episode. Today, I bring on a very special guest. Um, this is a topic that really is relatable in today's society, but Colin Yarbrough comes on with me today. He is the author of a book called Paved Away. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Maybe maybe you haven't. I don't know. But Colin is actually a former pipeline engineer that's turned to a compliance manager in the Dallas, Texas area. Uh, he was going to school at Southern Methodist University's graduate program, um, and he's working his way towards a Ph.D. now as we talk about that. But he was inspired to write Paved Away as he was doing some research and noticed that one of the highways that he was taking very frequently as he was traveling to school, the Central Expressway, was actually responsible for the movement of over, over 1,100 bodies in a Freedman's uh, Cemetery. And so what paved away, you know, this gave him an idea. It started doing research of why infrastructure decisions uh, are made the way they are. And what has been unearthed by his book and his research is, and as he describes in here, different neighborhoods in the Dallas area is really how these neighborhoods and the decisions for infrastructure have been really influenced by racism and economic oppression as to the decisions of which neighborhoods to take down or where to put a freeway or where to put a building. All of those things are eminent domain for utilities and things of that nature. So uh, it's a really interesting book. It's called Paved Away. We talk about this in the episode. We also talk about his nonprofit that he has uh, running a bakery with his mother, which is also awesome. But uh, this whole this research that he's dived into is opening all kinds of doors for him and his career. And it's a really fascinating topic on how decisions are made for infrastructure, which I think is really applicable to civil engineers that are out there and the decisions we make as designers um, and, and the influence we have on where roads go and buildings go and things of that nature. So anyway, that was long. With that said, I think you're really going to enjoy this one and uh, it's going to be coming right up after this. All right, what's going on? Uh, thanks for joining me on the Civil Engineering Academy podcast, Colin. How's it going? I'm doing great. How are you, Isaac? Hey, I'm doing pretty well. You're in Texas, I believe, so you're probably hotter than than I am over here. In Utah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's Texas heat is no joke. I've heard it's no joke. I don't live there, but I have traveled there, and it, it can get pretty hot. <laughs> so. Yes, it can. It can. Um, well, this is exciting. Uh, um, you know, you've you've got an awesome book, which we'll talk about later. But um, I want to dive into a little bit more about your background, how, how you found yourself into engineering, um, and then found your way, I believe, into being a baker. So, what's kind of your background? Uh, what are you doing now? Uh, in sort of that kind of background history. Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. Um, I think I've always had, like many engineers, it's that like I played with a lot of Legos when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, yeah, like 
there's probably a good chance that I'm going to end up being an engineer one day. Um, <laughs> and a lot of my early focus in my career, uh, I went to Clarkson University. Uh, it's a small engineering school in upstate New York, uh, very far from Texas, but uh, they had a really great program that was interdisciplinary, uh, engineering and management, and that really appealed to me. Um, I, have a, I like to, I'm interested in a lot of things all the time. Um, and there's a lot of really good stuff going on there uh, in terms of alternative fuel research. That was what I originally wanted to do. Uh, ended up not happening. Wow. And I got involved with a lot of sustainability efforts. Mm-hmm. Um but when I came out of college in the end of 2011, still feeling the, re- the kind of the reeling of the recession of 08, 09, and couldn't find a job. Uh, so it was pretty tough times. And, you know, it's funny you brought, you brought up that uh, I'm a baker. And uh, it was in that process of not having a job uh, that I actually, I actually started the bakery uh, wow. right after I graduated from college because I couldn't couldn't find anything and I was working as a temp uh, engineer for a natural gas utility here in Texas and so I did both of those at about the same time thinking well I'll play my cards see which one you know takes off more or the other um, and yeah I was able to get hired on uh, at the utility for a full-time gig like six months later uh, they created a new position it was right when a lot of the um, regulatory stuff and pipeline safety um, legislation was coming in. And so they had to create a whole bunch of new compliance jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's really where my engineering career began was uh, in the pipeline industry uh, and specifically compliance. And I did that for, gosh, about seven, seven years or so. And I, I worked in Dallas and Fort Worth and, and Lubbock. And so my job kind of moved around Texas, all with the same company, um, but primarily like 12 inch to 36 inch uh, pipeline construction and replacement. Um, wow. Yeah. And w- within that time, you passed the FE and the PE, got all that knocked out. So I did. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. That's those are those are a bear, man. So good job. They really are. Um, I'm curious what advice you would have. It sounds like you said you're interested in a lot of different things. I mean, including starting a whole bakery place, like what advice would you have for other civil engineers that maybe are in that same boat that kind of aren't quite sure, you know, where they're at is where they want to be. Yeah. Um, and, and it was not a quick and easy jump for me. Mm -hmm. Um, there was definitely a period of hesitation and kind of nervousness and and all of that that I think, you know, probably anyone would feel uh, when they're trying to decide, do I leave this really stable job um, and then jump out into the unknown where I don't know if I'm going to make money, where I'm going to make money or what's going to happen. Uh, and so I think there are probably three things that if there's anybody who's considering making a pivot um, either outside of engineering or, or something else. Uh, finances, uh, flexibility, and exit strategy are probably the three main keys. Um, do make sure that you have a financial plan set up, uh, some sort of runway, 
to determine whether or not you have enough money to support yourself for a little while. Um, if, if whatever you're doing on the side or going to do isn't going to bring income immediately, make sure that you have enough money to realistically cover yourself. Um, yeah, it's because you don't know what's going to pop up. Um, and then you have to be flexible with whatever, whatever comes your way. Um, you know, I wasn't expecting, you know, where I am today when I left two years ago to be where I am. Um, but I've had the flexibility of following the opportunities that have cropped up. Uh, and so now, yes, my life looks a little bit different than it did when I started out. Um, but I had, did have an exit strategy that if I got to the end of kind of like my two year plan and I didn't get to where I needed to be, I could always go back or I could do something, you know, tangential and I could return, um, if I absolutely needed to. That works. I like that advice. So if people are questioning that, that's, that's, those are some great tips. So um, talk me through this period where you were able to write this book. You've got a book called Paved Away. Um, tell me about how you created that. Um, what spurred the interest in, in writing that? Yeah, it's so kind of what we, t we were talking a little bit before the show, um, kind of when the pandemic hit last, gosh, it was last year. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> going. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. And I was, I had gone back to school. Um, so I was running the bakery, um, full, full time doing all that kind of stuff. And, and the, and the bottom fell out. And so we lost all of our business. And so pretty much all I had in my life at that time was grad school work. And I was taking a class, uh, called the context and impact of design. Hmm. And it was looking at how, a lot of it was on the built environment. And so we were learning about things uh, in St. Louis and failed housing projects and the way that the built environment um, is shaped and what the impact of the built environment is. And it's like all of these light bulbs started to go off in my head. Um, Cause I'd actually started in seminary uh, working towards a theology degree. Wow. Um, and so I had some of these ideas of justice um, that I was learning about from some of the theological work that I was doing. And so let's this... back up a little bit. So <laughs> you went from engineering to seminary to the bakery. Yeah. Is, that, uh, is that the order? Engineering, bakery, seminary, and ah. then back to engine, back to engineering. Okay. Okay. I just wanted yeah. to make sure I had that right. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's a lot of pieces <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's seminary. I tell people, Seminary is what pushed me away from seminary. Uh, um, it was the the theological grounding that I was getting and the understandings of what justice meant um, mm. and how it played out and what the church meant uh, in the world outside of the walls of the church. And then taking the context and impact class and seeing there are wider impacts of where these things take place. Um, wow. And so I, I, I realized I needed to kind of go back and double down on uh, the engineering piece. And we were writing a paper. We had to write a paper about something in Dallas, some sort of design element in Dallas. And on the list was, it had things like big design Dallas icons, like the Meyerson Symphony Center, um, Nasher Sculpture Center, all, all these like well-known Dallas icons. But in, at the bottom of the list was like Central Expressway, uh, us 75 
And it just, I was like, why is there a highway on here? That doesn't make sense at all. Mm-hmm. And um, so I chose it. I was like, you know, it's a highway I use every day. It's right next to campus uh, at SMU, uh, Southern Methodist University. And as I began to dig into the history, I found a New York Times article that discussed the, in like 1990, late 80s, early 90s, um, the removal and reinterment of 1,127 bodies of people who were formerly enslaved uh, in a cemetery. And they moved them to make space for the expansion of the highway. And those bodies had been paved over with the original construction of mm. Central uh, in the 1940s. And there was something about that that was just fundamentally did not sit sit well with me mm-hmm. and the fact that there was a freedman's town uh in an area where i had spent a lot of time going to bars and um all those kinds of things in my early 20s and none of that history is visible anymore i'd driven past that cemetery hundreds of times wow. and and my question was why would anybody put a cemetery here when actually the question i should have been asking was why are all of these condos and new buildings here? Um, because they had paved away right. all of the history of one of the most important black business and residential areas in Dallas that just no longer exists. So this was a paper you were you were writing for school. Yeah, all these light bulbs are going off. What is this? What? started the seed of the of the book paved away is this is what what started that then and then i imagine the paper probably got a good score and <laughs> off, off you went huh yeah in fact my professor i got to a point because i was realizing a lot of this very late in the semester um and my professor was like look you because i kept uncovering other highways and other neighborhoods and other patterns like this mm. in the city and my professor was like look I just need you to write 3,000 words on one of these and turn it in. He's like, you can take the rest of this and turn it into a book. Um, and so I did. Awesome. <laughs> um, and yeah, there ended up being a partnership that SMU has with a program at Georgetown University. Uh, it's called the Creators Institute. And it's a basically an 11-month accelerated program to help first-time authors write a book. And so I had this really great uh, program and structure that I could take, you know, the next month it started a new cohort. And so I basically just went right in from my paper into this really accelerated book writing process. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So you came up with the tagline, I think it's called infrastructure policy and racism in an American city. So mm-hmm. based on everything you're telling me, uh, you know, infrastructure can be tied to racism, as you're finding out. And I yeah. imagine that um, w- was the newspaper the only thing that that you researched on this or what other how did, how did you get more information about this as you started researching this topic? Yeah, it it was a lot of newspapers. Uh, I uh, spent days uh, researching newspaper articles, um, going back through the Dallas Morning News and um, some of the the black newspapers, the Dallas Express, 
and trying yeah. to find some of these narratives and really trying to understand because that's that's part of what it is it's it's narrative change it's the narrative that i grew up with in right. dallas didn't talk about any of this and so i had to go back and relearn i had to unlearn and relearn so much of the history of dallas um and so yes it was tons of historical research uh which was fun because you're learning a lot of new things to you um about a city and then some a place that i've called home for for decades um and a lot of the other research was done just creating friendships uh, with members of the community uh, and my neighbors in the city uh, and, and working with local groups um, who are now really good friends. I look back over the past year and um, I'm, I'm blown away by how wide my network has grown um, with all of these new friendships and relationships I've made in southwest and east dallas um, places where i didn't really go a lot but now i spend so much of my time and energy um thinking about and yeah that's, that's really neat um I, it, as you were talking i was thinking of another you know kind of a follow-up question but now that you've kind of unearthed all of this and written a book about it how does that make you feel about dallas what what are some things that you're doing to be more I don't know what what can you do to to help mitigate what you've discovered. Yeah, that's a really important question. Um, and gosh, how do I feel about Dallas? <laughs> uh, I don't know it's if we have like enough who time. you are. You know, yeah, it's, it's it, hard. It does because a lot of um, I'll I'll say this: a lot of what it has done has made me realize. Um how limited and how how much the city was built for me people who look like me so much so that i didn't have to think about any other part of the city than places that mattered to me um because the city does such a good job of pushing black and mexican-american neighborhoods and culture out of the norm that I didn't have to experience any of it. Um, mm. And so there's something really frustrating about that, that part of it is my own um, implication as an engineer, um, because right. I participated in building and continuing to use eminent domain and all of these other tools to build infrastructure. I mean, how different cities, not just Dallas, treated certain projects in different areas differently. Um, based on who the neighbors were and who had more political clout to uh, stand up against a pipeline going, you know, here or there or things like that. And so that that's really, you know, when those other light bulbs were going off, I began to see my own implication mm -hmm. uh, at a smaller scale, but I began to see how my own engineering decisions were playing out uh, in the built environment. And it's, you know, we we think about, you know, People will say, well, highway's not racist. Like, sure. It's an inanimate object. You're right. right. Um, but the placement and construction of highways and other infrastructure is always filled with decisions. And those decisions are often influenced by historical and present impacts of literal and figurative uh, structural racism. So things like redlining, eminent domain, and fair, mar fair market value. 
uh, zoning laws, public involvement and community engagement, all of these policies and mechanisms for the built environment are so critical to how a city operates and who has power, who defines space uh, and all those kinds of things. And so as engineers are, um, you know, going about, we're going about our daily work. It's those types of policies and procedures that we're using every day um, that are influencing, you know, the perpetuation of uh, these things. Yeah, I mean, many engineers are just, you know, they come to the cubicle and get the work done. They don't really see why a decision was made the way it was sometimes. I also work for, I well, recently switched, but worked for a public utility doing transmission design work. And, um, you know, oftentimes I didn't see a lot of the muscle flexed about using eminent domain. But oftentimes in cities, when those decisions have to be made is when, you know, who who decided that was the best route for yeah. something and exactly. what impacts do those things have? So that makes sense. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. I didn't think much about it. Now I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and you're like, hmm, why did we go there? Okay, exactly. Well, yeah. Well, what now that you've discovered this, what, what can cities do to avoid this in the future? I mean, what um, do you have any advice around that? I think the biggest thing is critically reflecting on a city's history and asking who historically who has not been at the table and then looking moving forward and asking okay this is who hasn't been at the table in the past who do we have at the table now and who do we need to extend um the table to Um, because that's you know the people who are at the table are going to be able to make the decisions and if people aren't going to be included in the decision-making, then the likelihood of them being uh, railroaded, no pun intended, is right. much, much, much higher. Uh, and that's why it's so critical for people, you know, everyday citizens or engineers, whoever it is, whatever hat you're wearing, um, it's so important to be embedded in all of the communities in your city um, to have those bearing in diverse viewpoints. So as an engineer, I mean, most of our audience, I think is civil engineers, but um, do you feel like every engineer has a voice that they could, you know, if if there's a decision on something, they could voice their opinion about something to someone and see how they can, um, to help or influence things? Is that kind of what you're thinking of? Absolutely. I, you know, as I reflect and um, think about my own voice, uh, when I was practicing as, as an engineer, engineers hold so much power in the decision-making process. We are held up as experts, as, you know, all sorts of things. People are always looking to engineers to answer a question and make a decision. And a lot of times people will defer to our, uh, expert opinion without hesitation. And so I think for enge- the message for engineers is you have a voice, whether you think you do or do not. The fact that your title is engineer um, brings a whole lot of power and privilege with any decision that you make. Um, and so 
any small little action you can say. And a lot of what I would do would just, you know, and this is a common, and it would, you know, you've been in the utility industry. It's Mm -hmm. deferring to operations and saying, hey, has operations had a chance to look at this design? Hey, have we talked to anyone in the community? Not just the, you know, the, the property owners that you're directly affecting by whatever the road, the bridge, the the pipeline, whatever it is. But have you talked to the community? You know, is this really where the thing needs? I know the company says this is where it needs to get, be done, but does the community say this is where it needs to be done? Right. Uh, is this something that's actually needed? Or are we just spending money because we need to spend money? Um, and I think there are a lot of those little moments where you can inject another question that can at least get people to pause and critically reflect on why are we doing this and who is involved. And I think that's fundamentally where all this comes back to. That's great advice. So I, I mean, hopefully the audience here that's listening to this, um, you know, if you want your voice heard, definitely voice it up the chain and uh, make it known. So, yeah, um, I'm sure this book has opened some doors for you. At least it sounds like you've built more relationships. Um, I'm curious, uh, where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years down the road now that you've written this book? What's, what's some of the next steps in your life you think? Yeah, I'm in the process of finishing up uh, my master's right now and I'll be rolling into, um, doctoral work here in the fall, um, at SMU and it'll really be, it'll continue to be an extension of the work from the book. And so what I'll be primarily looking at is, okay, how do we create more um, restorative and equitable transportation um, development processes so that we can fix the the inequalities and injustice that exist now and then prevent them from continuing to propagate into the future. So designing those, figuring out how we measure, uh, develop good equitable outcomes and then measure those and make sure that we're not uh, letting that fall by the wayside. Um, and I think there's a, there's a gap there in the current environmental justice um, legislation and executive orders um, where we could probably fill in some of those gaps. So a lot of my work as I see it moving forward will be centered around a lot of that infrastructure, justice um, and equity work and probably working to be as embedded within the community as possible. Um, Communities that are facing infrastructure development, infrastructure removal, uh, as we're seeing in the current administration, uh, focusing pretty heavily on. Um, And so that's my hope. That's that's the work is really kind of that more embedded engineering, uh, if you will. I call it infrastructure ministry. Uh, (laughs) That's a good label for it. Well, I hope the book and everything's really opened some doors for you to do some public speaking and really get out yeah. and talking to universities or colleges and talking to students at a young age and things of that nature. But I think, man, I really think, uh, yeah, you've really tapped into something there. And uh, I think that's really good. So, you know, that's definitely a recommended resource. We, I would tell everyone to go check out. We'll make sure we'll link that paved away. Is there anything, any other resources you think would help engineers uh, to understand this? Um, right off the top of my head, uh, there are great works like 
color of the color of law um, and some other books that are similar to that that really look at at these historical policies and how they've um, manifest present day inequalities. Um, so I'd recommend anything along those lines. Um, and if you go to, you know, if you're on Amazon, you haven't boycotted it or whatever, then, you know, you can see all the other recommended uh, titles that come with color of law. Uh, we pop up there uh, as well. Okay. And, and any local history books that are especially ones that are not told by uh, whoever the dominant population is. Uh, gotcha. in your head. Yeah. Well, we'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, your book will obviously link there too. I think you've got a lot of good stuff in there and encourage everybody to check it out if you haven't already. Uh, Colin, what's the best way for our audience to reach out to you if you wanted them to, you know, ask questions or even just find your book or what, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, right now until I get my, my website up and running, um, would be, email, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Um, and I'm sure we'll have all of those specific details in, in the show notes. Um, it's Colin Wright's design uh, on Instagram. And then my email is uh, yarbrocr at gmail.com. We can do that. Well, uh, we better get you some official stuff in case your book starts like taking off. Or you're doing more public <laughs> speaking and got to get that website up. Yes, I do. Uh, well, thanks, Colin, for jumping on the show. I really do appreciate it. Uh, this has been really fun, really educational for me. I'm um, excited for you and your future, and uh, can't wait to see where you're at. Awesome. Thanks, Isaac. I really appreciate it. All right. See ya. See ya.